ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so inshallah today we begin in the chapter of fasting from the book of Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, Bulugh al-Maram. So we'll discuss the different issues that are linked to fasting, the different ahadith which have been mentioned with regards to fasting in the month of Ramadan specifically, uh, and outside of the month of Ramadan generally too, in regards to what's been mentioned about fasting. So here at the beginning of this particular chapter, Kitab al-Sayyam, in the explanation, Al-Shaykh Salih Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, he says, As-Siyam huwa al-Rukn al-Thalith min arkan al-Islam. Waqad faradahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ala hadhi al-Ummah kama faradahu ala al-Ummah al-Sabiqa. Shaykh says that fasting, it is the third pillar of Islam. Fasting is the third pillar of Islam. After the two pillars, of the shahadatain and the salah the shahada the testification of tawheed and then after that the prayer and then after that the third pillar is this pillar the pillar of fasting and the shaykh says that Allah has made it obligatory upon this nation just as Allah made it obligatory upon previous nations Allah has made it obligatory upon this nation just as Allah had made this fasting obligatory upon previous nations. And we know that from the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 183, O oh, you who believe, and remember we mentioned before that the Salaf they used to say whenever you hear an ayah that begins with, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, then they would say, give it extra attention or give it close attention because it is going to be a commandment from the commandments of Allah or a prohibition from the prohibitions of Allah, i.e. it's going to be an affair of extreme importance. So this ayah begins with that beginning, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you who believe, kutiba alikumussayam, fasting has been prescribed upon you. Kama kutiba alaladheena min qablikum. Just as it was prescribed upon those who came before you. So that maybe you would have taqwa, maybe you would have piety, that you may gain piety and fearing Allah. And that will come to later on, because that is one of the virtues, or one of the reasonings, or one of the benefits that a person takes from fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explained the reasoning behind fasting in this ayah. So that you may achieve piety. That is one of the purposes of Ramadan, one of the purposes of fasting. That you may achieve this piety. Fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fulfilling the obligations upon the clarity and guidance of the revelations, the Quran and the Sunnah, in fulfilling the obligations of Allah, desiring the reward of Allah. And similarly, staying away from the prohibitions upon clarity and evidence, fearing the punishment of Allah. So then the Shaykh says, وَكَانَتْ فَرْضِيَّتُهُ فِي السَّنَةِ الثَّانِيَ مِنَ الْهِجْرَةِ وَقَدْ سَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ تِسْعَى رَمَضَانَاتِ ثُمَّ تُوْفِيَا صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ The Shaykh says that Ramadan, or rather fasting, it was made obligatory in what year? In what year was fasting made obligatory? Mm, the second year of Hijrah. In the second year after the Hijrah of the Prophet Hijrah. In the second year from the Hijrah of the Prophet the migration from Mecca to Medina. In the second year after that, then the fasting was made obligatory. <coughs> And so the Prophet ﷺ, he fasted nine Ramadans. The Prophet ﷺ fasted nine Ramadans. 
Because it was made obligatory in the second year after the Hijrah, and we know that the Prophet died. How many years after the Hijrah? Seven? Eleven, ah. So that would mean that the Prophet fasted nine Ramadans. Uh, the Shaykh then goes on to explain what does Siyam, Saum, what does this word mean linguistically? When we speak about fasting, what does fasting mean linguistically? Saum and Siyam. Linguistically, it means Al Imsak. It means to, to restrict yourself, to control yourself, to keep a grip upon yourself. That's what it linguistically means, to refrain from. To refrain from something, to stop yourself from something, to restrict yourself from something, to refrain. That's the meaning of Saum in the Arabic language. So you could say, Al-Imsaku Anil Kalam. For example, you stop yourself or you refrain yourself from speaking. Or you could say, Al-Imsaku Anil Mashi. You refrain yourself from walking, you stop yourself from walking. As for using the word Saum to mean restricting yourself from speech, i.e. stopping yourself from speaking. And that is in the Quran uh, regarding Maryam. Uh, in Surah Maryam, ayah number 26. That I have vowed to the Rahman Soman, this restriction, this controlling of myself. So I will not speak to anyone. I will not speak to anyone this day. So that is a restriction of yourself, controlling yourself from speech, stopping yourself from speech. Then the Sheikh speaks about the meaning of Sayyam when it comes to movement and walking. You could use the word Sayyam and Saum to say that you have restricted yourself from movement and walking. He gives poetry and he says, خَيْلٌ صَيَامٌ وَأُخْرَ غَيْرُ Horses that are in the state of Saum. What do you mean horses that are in the state of fasting? Horses that are in the state of fasting and others which are not in the state of fasting. That's what the poetry says. And the Shaykh says the meaning of that is that there are horses who are fasting, i.e. they are not moving. They have restricted themselves from movement. They are stationary in one place. So you see from these uh, different examples, and there are other examples the Shaykh gives here, to indicate that the meaning of Saum and Sayyam linguistically is to restrict yourself and to stop yourself from doing something, to prevent yourself, to refrain from something. Islamically, what does Saum mean? Islamically, أَمَّا فِي شَرَعْ الصَّيَامِ هُوَ الْإِمْسَاكُ بِنِيَّةٍ عَنِ الْمُفْتِرَاتِ الْحِسِّيَّ وَالْمَعْنَوِيَّ مِنْ طُلُوعِ الْفَجْرِ الثَّانِي إِلَى غُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ Islamically, it is to restrict yourself, to prevent yourself from those affairs that will break your fast, from... Uh, the physical things or the abstract things from the Tulu' al-Fajr al-Thani that will explain as we go along into the hadith the Fajr time, the morning time we'll explain that in detail later إِلَى غُرُوبِ shams up to the time of the sunset that you prevent yourself from the items or the things that will break your fast during that time eating and drinking intercourse, other affairs that break the fast of an individual, you restrict and refrain yourself from those affairs during those times. So, And you must have an intention. An individual, he stops himself and he refrains himself from eating and drinking and the other types of things that break your fast with an intention. As for an individual... Who, for example, wakes up at Fajr time and he prays 
And the whole day up until Maghrib, for whatever reason, he doesn't get a chance to eat or drink anything. The whole day from Fajr up until Maghrib, he doesn't get a chance to eat or drink for whatever reason. And he doesn't commit any of the other acts that would typically break your fast, like intercourse, etc. So this individual, can we say that he has fasted now? You could say linguistically he's fasted. Linguistically he has stopped himself from eating and drinking. But correct. Islamically you could not say he's fasted. So Islamically you couldn't say he's fasted. Correct. Because why? Intention. He never made the intention to do that. There was no intention. He just, as it happened on that day, whatever his circumstances were, he never ended up eating the whole day from Fajr to Maghrib. From the morning to the evening. But it was without intention, so that cannot be considered as fasting, as an act of worship. And we know that from many evidences, Indeed, all of your actions are in accordance to your intentions. So if the person doesn't intend to fast as an act of worship for the sake of Allah, then even if he doesn't eat or drink and commit the other types of acts that would break your fast, you can't say that he's fasted Islamically in terms of obedience. Um... And so he wouldn't be rewarded. That person wouldn't be rewarded for the act of fasting because he didn't have the intention for that. Uh, so then the Sheikh says, Al imsaku al kal al So it is to restrict yourself and to prevent yourself from eating and drinking and relations with the family. Uh, and this is called Fatusamma Hisiya Amaliya. أو المعنوية هناك مفطرات معنوية مثل الغيبة والنميمة والشتم وقول الزور والكلام القبيح وفعل المحرم من النظر إلى ما حرم الله والاستماع إلى ما حرم الله فإنها مفطرات معنوية لأنها تنقص أجر صائم أو لا يكون له أجر معها قد تستغرق أجره فلا يكون له أجر ولهذا يقول من لم يدع قول الزور والعمل به والجهل فليس لله حاجة في أن يدع طعامه, طعامه وشرابه the Shaykh says there are certain types of things that are not physical, that you must also restrict yourself from whilst fasting. Fasting isn't that you just stop eating and drinking. Fasting isn't that you just stop eating and drinking. Also, there are other types of things that a person must fast from, that he must restrict himself from. The abstract types of things like backbiting and slander and lying and deceiving and cheating and looking at things which are haram, listening to things which are haram, committing other types of evil deeds. All of that is something that you must prevent yourself whilst fasting also. These acts cannot be continued. Fasting isn't just to stop eating and drinking, but continue doing all these other sins. And so that will come later on. The Sheikh mentioned the hadith that a person who doesn't leave evil speech and uh, incorrect speech uh, 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 and acting, acting upon it and ignorance then there is no need for that person to stop eating and drinking. There's no need for that person to leave his food and drink if he's going to carry on upon all of the rest of the sins that he does. Hadith in Sahih Bukhari from Abu Huraira. There's another hadith which is mentioned by some of the scholars that the Prophet ﷺ said, لَيْسَ الصِّيَامُ مِنَ الْأَكْلِ وَالشُّرْبِ وَإِنَّمَا الصِّيَامُ مِنَ اللَّغْوِ وَالرَّفَثِ Fasting isn't just from food and drink. But rather fasting is from this type of evil behavior and evil speech and uh, wrongful acts. That's what fasting is, to prevent yourself from those types of things. Not just food and drink. People think now fasting is, as long as you don't eat and drink anything, you've done your fasting. But what about all of this lying and the slander and the backbiting and all these types of things people do whilst they are fasting? The sheikh says a person must be very uh, diligent, he must understand about these affairs too. فَالَّذِي يُمْسِكُ عَنِ الطَّعَامُ وَالشَّرَابُ وَالْمُفْتَرَاتِ الْحِسِيَّةِ وَلَكِنَّهُ لَا يُمْسِكُ عَنِ الْغِيبَ وَالنَّمِيمُ وَالْمَحْرَمَاتِ فَهَذَا لَا لَمْ يَسُمْ الصَّوْمْ الْمَطْلُوبِ The person who therefore stops eating and drinking and the other types of physical acts that are not permissible like relations but he does not stop backbiting and storytelling and other types of haram acts then this person has not fasted the proper type of fasting which is required of a Muslim. That isn't the fasting which has been requested, which has been obligated, that you stop eating and drinking but you carry on everything else. 
Rather, the fasting which has been obligated and which has been required from a person is to stop eating and drinking and to stop all of the other evil deeds. Then the Shaykh says, وَالْحِكْمَةُ مِنْ مَشْرُوعِيَّةِ الصَّيَامِ ظَاهِرًا The wisdom behind obligating the fasting is obvious, the Shaykh says. It's clear. And that is the statement of Allah, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ As we briefly mentioned, that you might achieve piety, that you may obtain piety through this fasting. لِأَنَّهُ يَمْنَعُ النَّفْسِ مِنَ الشَّهَوَاتِ وَالْأَكَلْ وَالشُرْبُ وَالْجِمَاعِ لِأَنَّ هَذِهِ الْأُمُورِ because fasting it prevents you from desires how does fasting prevent an individual from desires because the sheikh says food and drink and relations with your families all this food and drink and this energy it gives the person this energy to be able to commit sins and to do transgression and to go beyond the boundaries but when a person If a person he engages in the eating and the drinking and the fulfilling of his desires then this will cause him to go into even more evil affairs and into transgression However, when a person he fasts, فَإِنَّهُ تَنْكَسِرُ فِيهِ حِدَّةُ شَهْوَةِ وَالتَّطَلُّعَ إِلَى الْمَآكِلُ وَمَشَارِبِ Then the person when he's fasting, it prevents him from looking towards food and drink. It prevents him from going towards desires. His desire is weakened because the food and drink is not in his stomach. His desire becomes weakened. وَتَذِيقُ فِيهِ مَجَارِ الشَّيْطَانِ and his veins and his blood flow, it becomes tightened with the hunger. And the blood and the vein flows within them. The shaitan, as it's mentioned in one hadith, that the shaitan flows between the people just as the blood flows in between their veins. So when they become tightened, then it's as if the pathways of the shaitan are being tightened. So fasting, it tightens those pathways of the shaitan and it weakens the desire of a person. And so, therefore, the heart of a person becomes softer. The heart of a person becomes softer. فَيَلِينُ قَلْبُهُ وَلِذَلِكَ قَالَ And that's why Allah said, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you might obtain this piety and that you might obtain this humbleness and modesty and humility in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a person, he is reminded of his need for Allah. He is reminded of how weak he is, how small he is in the creation from the creations of Allah. And he is reminded of his everlasting need to Allah. That a person can never live without Allah, without the blessings of food and drink and water, etc. So you're reminded of your need to Allah. And also, it reminds you of the blessing of Allah upon you that you do actually have food and drink. That when it comes to the time of iftar, you will sit and you will eat and you will drink. So it reminds you of that blessing of the food and the drink that you have from Allah. وَتَنَاوَلِ مَا أَبَاحَ اللَّهُ لَهُ And it reminds you of the blessing of Allah upon you from amongst the, the uh, allowed forms of acts that are okay for you to do. The blessing of Allah for these different types of acts that are permissible for you to do. Because during Ramadan you have to restrict yourself from them. For example, relations with your wife during the day, or eating or drinking, etc. وَيُذَكِّرْهُ بِإِحْوَالِ الْمُحْتَاجِينَ إِذَا ذَاقَ مَسَّ الْجُوعَ وَمَسَّ الْعَطَشْ وَمَسَّ الْحَاجَةِ تَذَكِّرْ أَحْوَالِ الْمُحْتَاجِينَ And a person, he will remember and he will recognize the state of those people who are in need, who are in poverty, the ones who feel this hunger always. When he feels that hunger, when he feels that thirst, when he feels that weakness, 
then you will remember those individuals who are in that state and you will have mercy towards them. So the Shaykh says, In fasting there are great wisdoms and many benefits. And for this reason Allah said, So that you might fear Allah and gain piety. That's why in one hadith Qudsi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, That fasting is for me. Allah says to his slaves, Fasting is for me and I will reward it. Fasting is for me and I will give the reward for it. إِنَّهُ تَرَكَ شَهْوَتَهُ وَطَعَامَهُ وَشَرَابَهُ مِنْ أَجْلِهِ Allah says, indeed, this slave, he has left his food and his drink. He has left his desire and his food and his drink for my sake. وَلَخَلُوفُ فَمِ الصَّائِمِ And the fragrance, the, the, the smell that comes out of the mouth of a person who is fasting, because of that fasting, أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِيحِ الْمِسْكِ Then that smell that comes, that type of smell which comes out of the mouth of an individual who is fasting, it's different. You can recognize that the smell of a person's mouth is different when he's fasting compared to when you're eating. Because the stomach is empty and it's been empty for hours, the smell becomes different. But it mentioned in this hadith that that smell, أَطْيَبُ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ مِنْ رِيحِ الْمِسْكِ That smell is more beautiful to Allah than the misk itself, the fragrance itself. So this is something which is mentioned of the virtues of fasting also, and that is in Sahih Muslim. And in Sahih Al-Bukhari. The Shaykh says, what's the meaning of this hadith? The meaning of this hadith is that Allah is saying now that fasting is something beloved to Allah. That Allah says, fasting is for me. I will give the reward for it. He has left his food and his drink and his desires for my sake. Because this fasting, it is an act of obedience. It is an act of obedience. This therefore indicates the virtues of fasting upon the other acts of worship. So fasting is a great act of worship. That's why the pious and the righteous people that came before us, they would always fast excessively outside of Ramadan. Outside of Ramadan, the rest of the year, they would always fast a lot. There are many sunnah days that you can fast. Monday, Thursday, six days, uh, or three days in the middle of the month, etc. The days of Shawwal. All of these different days that you can fast after Ramadan, the righteous people, they used to make sure they would fast a lot of those days outside of Ramadan. Because of these virtues of Ramadan. لِحُبِّهِمْ لِلصِّيَامِ وَتَقَرُّبِهِمْ إِلَى اللَّهِ عَزَّ because of their love for fasting and to get closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To gain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَكَانَ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم يُكْثِرُ مِنَ الصِّيَامِ And the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to fast a lot. فَكَانَ يَسُومُ حَتَّى يُقَاسُ So sometimes he would fast so much that it would be said, لَا يُفْتِر That he's not going to break his fast ever. He's fasting every day. He would fast so much sometimes that it would be said he's not he's never going to open his fast. He fasts every day. And sometimes he would leave fasting to the extent that it would be said, La Yasum, that he's not fasting. He's not going to fast. So the righteous people, they used to fast many days outside of Ramadan because they knew of the great virtues and benefits of Ramadan and how this would bring them closer to Allah. Look at the way of the Salaf and look at the way of the righteous people. These are the acts that bring you closer to Allah. These are the acts that if an individual desires to gain closeness to his Creator, then these are the types of acts that you do. Not as the deviated and distorted and the misguided individuals will tell you, that if you wish to become closer to Allah, then go to the grave. Or go to the, this righteous peer as they call them. Or go to this wali from the awliya of Allah. 
they'll tell you to do those types of things which are misguidance away from the Quran and the Sunnah. But this is the way of the Salaf and the way of the righteous. The truly righteous upon the methodology of the Salaf, they will gain or seek to gain this closeness to Allah through obedience and worship. One of those was fasting. Then the Shaykh says, Allah has made it obligatory to fast the month of Ramadan. And that is in the statement of Allah, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'anu hudan lil-nasi ubayyinatim min al-huda wal-furqan faman shahida minkum al-shahra fal-yasum waman kana maridan aw ala safarin fa'iddatum min ayyamin ukhar In Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 185 that the month of Ramadan is the month in which the Qur'an was revealed as a guidance for the people and as a clarification uh, for guidance in the criteria. So whoever witnesses the beginning of the month, then he should fast. And whoever is ill or upon a journey, then make up some other days in their place. So Allah made it obligatory upon the one who is resident and he is healthy to fast this month of Ramadan. And Allah gave a permission or a license to those who are traveling or those who are ill to be able to not fast on those certain days and to make them up afterwards what they miss. So therefore it was obligatory upon the people to fast whether you fast in its time or whether you make it up afterwards if you were traveling or ill. Then the first hadith that Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar mentions in this chapter. He says, وَعَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ لَا تَقَدَّمُوا رَمَضَانَ بِصَوْمِ يَوْمٍ أَوْ يَوْمَيْنِ إِلَّا رَجُلٌ كَانَ يَسُومُ صَوْمًا فَلْيَسُمْهُ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ In this hadith now, the hadith of Abu Huraira. And Abu Huraira, we spoke about him before. Abu Huraira, the scholars are different about his name and the most popular opinion is that his name was Abdurrahman ibn Sakhar al-Dawsi narrated many a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. In fact, he narrated the most hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. And it's mentioned about his memory. It was so good. They mentioned a story about him that on one occasion he went to a particular leader. This particular leader, this ruler of that time somewhere, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Abu Huraira, narrate some ahadith to me. So he narrated 10, 20, 30, 100 ahadith to this individual with the change of narration. And this particular ruler or leader had someone secretly behind the curtain writing everything down that Abu Huraira was saying. Then a year later, Abu Huraira came back to this ruler or king, whoever he was, and the ruler said to him, those hadith, tell me them again. And the person, this ruler, he, he had this person who had written everything down. That person was stood behind the curtain with the written version from a year ago. And Abu Huraira came and he started narrating the same hadith. He started to narrate them with the chains of narration and the person behind the curtain was checking everything. At the end when he finished, they discovered that Abu Huraira didn't make a single mistake in any one of the hadith that he narrated. From a year ago, every single one exactly as he had narrated it. That was the memory of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the dua of the Prophet ﷺ for him. So he narrated the most hadith and a famous companion from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. So in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, لا تقدموا رمضان بيوم أو يومين هذا نهي من الرسول ﷺ أن يبدأ الإنسان صيام رمضان قبل دخوله. This says now, the Prophet ﷺ says, do not Proceed Ramadan by a day or two days. I.e. don't fast the day before Ramadan or two days before Ramadan. It's a prohibition from the Prophet ﷺ that a person starts to fast before Ramadan actually starts. Everybody knows for example that there's only one or two days left for Ramadan to start. Tomorrow night maybe, hypothetically speaking, we say, for example, tomorrow night the moon could come out. So a person thinks, okay, from today I'll start fasting. I'll do this one today, even if the moon doesn't come out tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow as well. Then the third day will definitely be Ramadan. 
So I'll do these extra two or three days leading into Ramadan. Here the Prophet ﷺ prohibits from that, from doing the extra two or three days going into Ramadan. كَأَنْ يَقُولْ أُرِيدُ زِيَادَةَ الْخَيْرِ فَأَصُومُ يَوْمًا أَوْ يَوْمَيْنْ قَبْلَ بِدَايَةِ شَهْرِ إِلَى نِهَايَةِ شَهْرِ A person might say, I want to increase my goodness. <coughs> Ramadan, the month of virtues and blessings. I want to increase my goodness. So I'll start now, two or three days before Ramadan begins. We know it's going to begin in two or three days roughly. I'll start now. These two or three days, I'm going to start fasting them too. I'll get used to it. And on top of that, the blessings and the barakah going into Ramadan. The hadith says a person is not allowed to do that. The Prophet prohibited from that. Because why? This is an addition. This is an addition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not obligated. The obligation is the month of Ramadan in itself. The month of Ramadan in of itself. Outside of that, before that, is not from the obligation. An individual now who makes that a part of his fasting to attach onto Ramadan and say, I'll, do, I'll end up with 35 days in the end. I'll do an extra two or three at the beginning, I'll end up with 32 or 33 days. Baraka, reward. Attach it onto Ramadan altogether. Here the hadith says an individual cannot do that. The obligation is Ramadan. So it's not permissible to add the two or three days at the beginning. That would become a bid'ah. It would become an innovation. And a bid'ah is ihdathu shay'in fi din lam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is something new that you bring into the religion that Allah has not legislated. Allah did not legislate that you start Ramadan five days ahead in advance or two days ahead in advance. Rather you start, as the ayah says, when you see the sighting of the moon begin. And we'll go into detail about that too. Um, so a person cannot fast a day or two days before Ramadan Saying that this is all a part of Ramadan I'm going to attach these two or three days onto Ramadan And make my Ramadan 32 or 33 days Haram, it's not correct to do so So this is what's known as bid'ah idafiyya You know there are two types of bid'ah Or some of the categorizations of the scholars they say One of them is bid'ah idafiyya Bid'ah idafiyah is like, in English they might say a, a, an attached bid'ah or an additional bid'ah, meaning that the original act has a basis to it in the Quran and the Sunnah. The original action has a basis in the Quran and the Sunnah, but then you add something or attach something onto it which does not have a basis in the Quran and the Sunnah. So now fasting the month of Ramadan, clearly... In the Quran, the Sunnah consensus, you fast the month of Ramadan. There the basis is correct and authentic, no doubt. But then to add on these two days before Ramadan begins, that act has no basis. That's therefore known as an additional bid'ah, an attached bid'ah. And maybe they have other words for it in English too. So then, there's an important part to the hadith also though. It says, لَا تَقَدَّمُوا رَمَضَانَ بِسَوْمِ يَوْمٍ أَوْ يَوْمَيْنِ don't proceed Ramadan with one or two days in advance. Except for someone who typically fasts upon those types of days, and we'll explain what we mean, then he can continue. The meaning of that is that if a person typically fasts certain days of the month, he typically fasts certain days of the week, typically. It's his habit that he normally does it. For example, the Shaykh says, An individual he fasts the three middle days of the month. The three middle days of the month when the moon is at that particular station. Or he fasts three days out of every month. Or he fasts Monday and Thursday of every week. Or he has fasts that he needs to make up from the last Ramadan. Or, well let's take these one by one. 
Let's say for example now a person he out of his habit always fasts Monday and Thursday. Sunnah. He always does that. Then Ramadan begins one year on a Tuesday. Is he allowed to fast on Monday that year then? He can do it. Because it's his habit. He always fasts Mondays and Thursdays. If Ramadan begins on Tuesday, he can fast on Monday. Because it's his habit and his norm. That's something he typically does. But a person who doesn't, he wants to specifically add that day on for the sake of Ramadan, that's not allowed. But a person who normally throughout the rest of the year always fasts Monday and Thursday. Then coincidentally, Ramadan begins on a Tuesday, it doesn't affect him. He can carry and do his Monday as he normally does. Or for example, a person who has fasts to make up from last Ramadan. A person during Ramadan, he became ill, so ill that he couldn't fast. So one day he had to miss it. He had an extreme fever or something which prevented him to fast for one day. All year, and this is not something good, really you should make up your fasts as soon as possible after Eid. But let's say for example he forgot or something happened and the year went by and Ramadan for example is going to start on Monday. On Saturday night he remembers I still have one day to make up. Ramadan he knows now is going to begin on Monday for example. Then can he fast a Sunday or not? The day that goes into Ramadan. He can do it. He has to make up the fast. That's an exception like that too. Or for example, an individual has made a vow. He has vowed to fast the last day of Sha'ban. He's made some vow for whatever the vow might be. He's taken a vow, another, that he's going to fast the last day of Sha'ban. Then again, in that case, he would have to fulfill that vow if it was a vow of uh, obedience. These are some of the types of instances where a person could fast those one or two days leading into Ramadan. But outside of these types of things, then there is not an exception for somebody who specifically wants to add those days for the sake of joining unto Ramadan. That's the difference. أَمَّا إِذَا نَوَى الصِّيَامَ مِنْ رَمَضَانَ قَبْلَ أَنْ يَدْخُلْ هَذَا لَا يَجُوزُ فَهُوَ بِدْعَ وَحَرَامٌ لا يتقدم رمضان بيوم يومين هذا ناحي للتحريم ولا يجوز زيادة في العبادات أما حدده الله سبحانه وتعالى So if a person he intended to start fasting before Ramadan to specifically add on these days and he makes that intention then it's haram, it's not permissible because you're adding on to what Allah has obligated Allah has only obligated Ramadan You can't add the two days extra now and make that something you're going to attach to that day The Shaykh gives an example of this to understand why that's the case. A very easy example. Salat al-Dhuhr, for example, is four rakaat. If an individual came along and said, I've got a lot of spare time today, and I want to get more reward. So I'm going to pray six rakaat for Dhuhr today. What do you think? Haram. Not allowed. Not going to be accepted like that. Bid'ah, innovation, completely wrong. Because now he has added on to what is obligatory upon him. Obligatory four rakaat. If you add on five or six or seven and do more, it becomes wrong. So that's the shaykh, that's what he mentions. That when it comes to worship, you can't just add on your extras onto worship. You worship Allah as Allah has commanded you. That's why the principle is that ibadah is tawqifi. As you have been commanded to worship Allah, that's how you worship Allah. And that's one of the meanings of Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. That you do not worship Allah, Allah is not to be worshipped except how the Prophet Muhammad commanded us to worship him. Um, then the next hadith, your time, huh? What is it now? Oh, inshallah. So then the next hadith, وَعَنْ عَمَّارِ ibn Yasir. So there, the first hadith everyone's understood now. Ramadan, you begin when Ramadan begins. It's not permissible to start adding on days at the beginning, saying barakah and extra days of reward, attach it onto Ramadan. Except for somebody who has that reasoning. He typically does that, or he's made a vow, or he has one to make up. Outside of those types of reasons, then it's not permissible to do so. That's the first issue. وَعَنْ عَمَّارِ ibn Yasir, رضي الله عنه قال, من صام اليوم الذي يشك فيه فقد عصى أبا القاسم صلى الله عليه وسلم ذكره البخاري تعليقا ووصله الخمسة وصححه ابن خزيمة وابن حبان عمار بن ياسر in this hadith says that whoever fasts on the day of doubt 
then indeed he has disobeyed or he has uh, and he disobeyed and gone against and sinned against the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu the one who fasts on the day of doubt then he has sinned against the Prophet Sallallahu opposed opposed the Prophet Sallallahu hmm. this hadith now وَمِنَ الزِّيَادَ عَلَى رَمَضَانَ أَوْ تَقَدُّمْ رَمَضَانَ بِيَوْمِ يَوْمَيْنَ so from this is the same issue similar issue now the Shaykh says صَوْمُ يَوْمِ الشَّكْ what is يَوْمُ الشَّكْ what is the day of doubt what is the day of doubt هُوَ يَوْمُ الثَّلَاثِينَ مِنْ شَعْبَانَ إِذَا حَالَ دُونَ رُؤْيَةِ الْهِلَالِ غَيْمٌ أَوْ قَتَرٌ يَعْنِ غَبَارًا أَوْ قِتَامًا فَلَمْ يُرَى الْهِلَالِ لَيْلَةَ الثَّلَاثِينَ هذا يسمى يوم الشك لأنه يحتمل أنه تمام شعبان ويحتمل أنه من رمضان وهو مشكوك فيه والشك هو التردد بين أمرين لا مرجح لأحدهما the day of doubt. Imagine now, Sha'ban, the month that we're in right now. You get to the 30th, uh, you get to the 29th day of Sha'ban. You get to the 29th day of Sha'ban. You pray your Maghrib. Now, what, where are we now? We're now in the, the night of the 30th. The night of the 30th has begun now. So now it's possible. But we're in the night of the 30th of Sha'ban Or It could actually be The night of The first of Ramadan After 29 days of Sha'ban The next day could be the first of Ramadan Or it could be the 30th of Sha'ban Depending if the moon comes out or not That's why every year you wait to see on that night Has, has it been declared Has the uh, moon been sighted anywhere If it's been sighted Then after 29 days That's it Sha'ban finishes You begin Ramadan if it doesn't, no sighting anywhere, then you complete Sha'ban and then begin Ramadan. But after that 29th day, imagine now after the 29th day finishes, you pray Maghrib, or after that time, then there's cloud cover everywhere. Clouds everywhere or dust and mist in the air. There's factors that prevent you from seeing the moon clearly. So you can't see. So now you don't know. Could be that behind all of this cloud cover and everything, the new moon is actually out. Could be. Or it could be that it isn't out. It's actually still Sha'ban. You don't know. You can't see. There's doubt. Is it Ramadan? Is it not Ramadan? We couldn't see. There was too much cloud cover. There was too much mist and haze and other factors. That's now known as the day of doubt. Is it actually Ramadan or is it not? We couldn't tell. The night before it was covered up, everything. We couldn't tell. So the Shaykh says this is what's known as the day of doubt. وَالْمَوْجُودْ هُنَا هُوَ الشَّكْ So this is doubt now. لِأَنَّ يَوْمَ الثَّلَاثِينَ مِنْ شَعْبَانَ لَمْ يُرَى فِيهِ الْهَلَالِ لِغَيْمٍ هُنَاكَ احْتِمَالْ أَنَّهُ مِنْ رَمَضَانَ وَفِيهِ احْتِمَالْ لَوْمِ شَعْبَانَ So this 30th day could be from Ramadan, it could be from Sha'ban. وَلِهَذَا يَقُولُ عَمَّارِ بْنِ يَاسِرَ الصَّحَابِيَ الْجَلِيلِ That's why Ammar ibn Yasir, the great companion, he said مَنْ صَامَ الْيَوْمَ الَّذِي يُشَكُّ فِيهِ فَقَدْ عَصَى أَبَ الْقَاسِمِ That the one who fasts on that day, even though the moon hasn't been sighted, there was cloud cover, everything, it couldn't be sighted. But if a person says, yeah, but we don't know then, what if the moon really was out that night? I'm going to fast to make sure. A person who makes that kind of judgment and he fasts that day, then this uh, hadith says that individual has disobeyed, has sinned against, has opposed the Prophet Muhammad So this, even though it's the statement of the companion, it has the ruling of coming from the Prophet Because the companion himself could not give that type of legislation. So this indicates the prohibition of doing that. And the one who fasts on that day, he is committing a sin. Uh, in the hadith it says Asa Abul Qasim Abul Qasim is وسلم, The Prophet Abul Qasim was his kunya And Qasim Al Qasim was his eldest Al Qasim was the eldest Of the children of the Prophet وسلم, From Khatija uh, uh, And the Prophet وسلم, His kunya was taken from that Abul Qasim uh, Naam 
So the point of this hadith is that it is impermissible to fast on that day of doubt. And that is the 30th day of Sha'ban when the cloud cover and other factors prevent you from seeing the moon. And the majority of the scholars take this opinion that it is impermissible to fast that day because of this narration. And because of the other hadith that we just mentioned anyway. Do not fast a day or two before Ramadan. On that day now, you don't know. Maybe it is Ramadan. Maybe the moon has come out. But there was cloud cover. You couldn't see. So now based upon that doubt, you can't say, well, just to make sure we'll do it. What if Ramadan has begun? What if the moon was there behind the cloud cover? We should just fast to make sure. You can't. You don't do that. If there's cloud cover, etc., you can't see. Then we're going to come to the hadith now. If that is the case, then what do you do? The hadith is going to explain to us now that if there's cloud cover, etc., and you can't see, then you have to complete 30 days. And then you fast from the day after that. So that's what is the correct position. And that's what's going to be mentioned here soon. Now, uh, the hadith of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إذا رأيتموه فصوموا وإذا رأيتموه فأفطروا فإن غم عليكم فقدروا وفقدروا له متفق عليهم ولمسلم وإذا فإذا أغمي عليكم فقدروا له ثلاثين وللبخاري فأكملوا العدة ثلاثين So now, we've had two issues so far. A person is not allowed to specifically add on extra one or two days before Ramadan for barakah and blessings, etc. Unless someone who has that as a habit or a vow or to make up days or other reasons of those nature. It is not permissible to fast on the day of doubt. After 29 days of Sha'ban, if the moon hasn't been sighted because of difficulty to do that, you can't say, we'll just make sure and fast anyway. You don't do that. What do you do then? That's what this hadith explains. Now, hadith of Ibn Umar, he says that the Prophet said, I heard the Prophet say, if you see it, i.e. the moon, if you see it, then fast. And if you see it, then break your fast, i.e. at the end of the month, then stop and do eat. And if it's covered up, cloud cover, mist, fog, other things that prevent you from seeing the moon, لَهُ then, uh, then uh, judge it. Make a judgment. How do you make a judgment? It's explained here in the narration of Sahih Muslim. If it's covered up and you can't see, then make the judgment of 30 days. Also, Complete 30 days. So on the 29th day of Sha'ban, because you know the month in uh, the lunar months, it can be 29 or 30 days. Sha'ban after the 29th day, you're going out to look for the moon, but it's covered up everywhere you can't see. So you're in doubt. Is the moon out there or not? I can't see. What you're supposed to do then is make the judgment that we're going to complete 30 days. You make the calculation that we will do 30 days therefore. If you cannot see the moon, it's covered up. You can't tell if it's there or not. You're not fasting then. You complete 30 days of Sha'ban and then you begin after that. Because the moon hasn't been sighted. The hadith of Ibn Umar says, the Prophet said, if you see it fast, if you see it fast, and if it's covered up, then make the calculation. What's the calculation? The two narrations tell you, 30 days of Sha'ban, 30 days of Sha'ban. Complete the 30 days and then start fasting. So that's what the hadith indicates. Here the Shaykh says, سُومُ لِرُؤْتِهِ وَافْتِرُ لِرُؤْتِهِ فَعَلَّقَ سَأَسَلَّمَ صَوْمُ بِرُؤْتِ الْحَلَالِ The Prophet ﷺ therefore associated or attached the obligation of fasting upon seeing the moon. The obligation of fasting upon seeing the moon. Not guessing, not saying, well, it could be out there, it could not be out there, we'll be safe and just fast. No. If you can't see it, then you leave it another day without fasting, let month, 30 days of Sha'ban go by and then begin. Some people use that hadith in Baltimore and they enter Ramadan, they complete 30 days because they believe that you cannot see it in here. So therefore, every Ramadan, mm. no matter what happens, mm -hmm. they do 30 days of Sha'ban and they fast. Inshallah, those, uh, the, these types of issues, we will come to them because there's lots of fatawa of the scholars about that, about the different countries and what you follow, etc. We'll come to all those details, inshallah, too. <coughs> 
Um, so then the Shaykh says, And also the end of the month of Ramadan is based upon the sighting of the moon. Then he said, if it's covered up and you can't see it, then in that case the majority of the scholars have quite clearly explained that you complete 30 days and then you start your Ramadan. Because the origin is The origin is, the default is, the default is right now on the 29th day of Sha'ban, which month are you in? Sha'ban. The default is that you're in Sha'ban. To get you into Ramadan, you need to see the moon. If you don't see the moon, then the default is you stay in Sha'ban. That's the default. You're still in Sha'ban. If you can't see the moon, it's covered up, whatever reason. The default is you stay in Sha'ban. Then when you see the moon, or you complete 30 days, because any month it can't be more than 30 days. So once 30 days is gone, you move into Ramadan. So this is the opinion of the Jumhur of the scholars that an individual who cannot see the moon or if they are not able to see the moon on the 29th night or the night of the 30th then they complete the 30 days and then go into the fasting after that. So three issues so far. Ramadan when it begins it's not permissible for an individual to add on extra days at the beginning of it unless there are specific reasons as we mentioned. Similarly the second point was The first point was that you can't add on extra days. Think, think. You can't add on extra days, one or two extra days at the beginning without legitimate reason. Unless, there's something. Unless you have legitimate reason, yeah. Then the second point was the fasting of the day of doubt. That it's not permissible to fast the day of doubt. The third point is what do you do then? If you're not allowed to fast the day of doubt, what are you supposed to do? Complete 30 days. That's the opening of the chapter of fasting. The, alhamdulillah, the Shaykh explains it in a very simple and easy way to understand. Those issues, alhamdulillah, very simple and easy to understand so far. And that's the purpose of this and the way that we're going to do it, inshallah. Keep everything simple so we can understand the issues in a general, simple manner. And as for details and differences of opinion and different evidences, you do that at a later stage. Go into those affairs, into the longer books of fiqh at a later stage. So we'll conclude upon that point now. And then in the next lesson on this, which will be next Saturday, inshallah, we'll start with the hadith of Ibn Abbas concerning the testification of the individual who sees the moon. Concerning that issue of somebody who does actually see the moon. That issue we'll start with next time, inshallah, next Saturday.